0: And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set.
1: This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
0: Try to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center! Perry!
1: Corey Perry! Oh, able to shake away from Solani? it's giving away to Solani.
2: All right. <laughs> like this, <laughs> this is such a bad way to start a show, but this game was just something else tonight, man. Um, this is I don't I don't want to say it's a typical Ducks win because a typical Ducks loss cuz a typical Ducks loss would have been they lost this game 4-1 and just choked it out and didn't have any comeback. They actually fought back. So it was a, it was a decent game, but making that comeback scoring three straight goals to tie at 4-4 and losing to a Zach Whitecloud goal. <laughs> just with Ryan Reeves on the ice, just uh, rub some salt in the wound.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, are, are you trying to tell me that Zach Whitecloud isn't an elite offensive defenseman who's known for jumping into the play like that? You know, what would have been worse, Zach Whitecloud or Shay Theodore? Oh, um... Uh, hmm. For... Mm, bitter Ducks fans, Theodore, but like as a hockey team, it's 100% White Cloud. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess you could argue White Cloud isn't a guy you track to come down from the blue line like that. So theoretically, it's at least uh, a little bit more understandable. Um, whereas if it's Theodore, you know, he's going to activate, you know, he's going to be involved. So you should have a better eye on him. I don't know. I could probably talk myself into being depressed about it either way.
2: I think we should start this show uh, following up the bet that you and Pat made on our last show before the Super Bowl. I'm
1: so dumb. That
2: if Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, you would have to eat whatever Pat ordered out of, uh, was it, Del Taco for you?
1: Mm -hmm. And if
2: if you had a loss, it would have been Taco Bell for Pat. So now patreon show on saturday pat orders whatever he wants on the yeah. menu for you for del taco how are you feeling about that that tom brady win and the um, the, the bet loss for you
1: i'm feeling better now than i will on saturday i'm gonna <laughs> just, uh, God.
2: i've heard rumors of what uh and you did before the show today what Pat's putting together for your menu. I was thinking it would just be like a meal, but he's putting together. Oh, no.
1: I, three or let four me be completely straight up. Menu. I 100% knew it wasn't going to just be, you know, like two tacos, fries, and a Coke. Like I knew, <laughs> I knew I was going to get myself into some trouble here.
2: Yeah, it's, it's not looking good for uh, not only your Saturday afternoon, but your Sunday, Saturday night, and Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's all bad. Good.
1: It's all bad. <laughs> I think it's a good thing Monday's a holiday down here. So,
2: The one thing we talked about before, too, um, we were talking about this after Tom Brady won his seventh championship. People were comparing uh, Henri Richard's 11 Stanley Cups and Tiger Woods was it 15 majors and Michael Jordan's six championships in, in eight years. I mean, we're going to go in more depth. I think we're talking about this on the Patreon show anyway. But, man, like... I don't I'm not a huge football fan, but Brady winning seven championships. And then I think like the big thing for me is that first year with a new team goes out and gets a Super Bowl like that's that's up there. I still don't think it's number one. I don't think it's the biggest accomplishment or championship win of all time. I still think Tiger's up there. I still think Jordan six and eight years is more impressive. But man, that was uh, as much as that hurts you and you have to eat del taco now. It was a, a pretty unreal performance.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I, it's hard for me, right? Because I think what you saw in that game is kind of the epitome of what the Tom Brady experience is like, where you could look at individual plays where he made a good play, but I don't think anybody watched that game and was like, damn, Tom Brady dominated. What you saw was Tom Brady just played well, and the defense did an incredible job. Of, Can you tell you I'm know. trying to avoid the breakdown of tonight's yeah, game? Yeah, no, that's not that's not are talking about at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm we're 100%. gonna get to Brian Burke and Ron Hextall before we talk about the first period. Yeah, but, we'll we'll move on from the Super Bowl,
2: but uh, yeah, the the also, big the big thing was that you now have to eat Del Taco, which is my favorite part of that.
1: Yes, and two things to that end, real quick. One, I've had the Beyond Taco, uh, and it's bad, and two, Bill Russell's Eleven Rings is absolutely the best one. So.
2: Yeah, it's up there. It's up there. It's a conversation we're definitely going to have on uh, Saturday on Pucks and Brews because I know Pat hates golf and he hates Tiger Woods. So that's going to be a Mm -hmm. (laughs) fun fun conversation continued from our our group chat over the weekend. But getting into tonight's game, obviously Ducks lose 5-4 in regulation to Vegas Golden Knights after almost completing the comeback. Uh, Gibby misses this game, suffers a facial laceration in practice today. So Stolars comes up as an emergency call-up, backs up Brian Miller in this game. Um, I mean, if things can't can't go from bad to worse for the Ducks, your superstar goaltender gets injured in a collision in practice, cuts his face. And then I found out, like the Ducks tweeted out he had to drive to Vegas himself. <laughs> he drove there himself after so the fact. So stupid. Um, I don't even and- know why he would do that. I mean, apparently it's not bad. and and he'll be in the lineup on Thursday. But I mean, <laughs> things can't go can't go any any get any worse at this point. John Gibson uh, gets injured in practice, has to drive himself to Vegas and be ready for Thursday. So hopefully he's back in the lineup. and And then the other only other lineup change was Derek Grant comes off. The first line because the captain returns and Ryan Getzlaff is back and it looks like Grant was actually just uh, I think healthy scratched for this game
1: mm-hmm.
2: which was um, probably a testament to Isaac Lindström and him getting his first NHL goal uh, the night before and then obviously picking up a second one tonight too and I guess rewarding uh, Dallas Aikens with uh, the confidence he showed in him so Derek Grant has to find his way back into the lineup at this point I don't think we would have ever had to say that before.
0: Yeah,
1: no, I don't think that's where we thought we were going to be at this point. I think most of us would have figured, you know, Lundestrum would be down by now. Or uh, honestly, I would have figured Bacchus would have come out of the lineup first. Um, But no, I think it's good. You know, I think, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the year, you know, I think this is going to be one of those seasons where just because of the way that it's structured and how close everything is together, like we have a better chance of learning more about Dallas Aikens than I think we do necessarily the big picture of the team, you know, and I think the fact that he was willing to pull Grant after seemingly having Grant's name, you know, engraved into the starting lineup uh, and leave back in that fourth line role. We talked about how he had, you know, really brought the bottom line up on that one, you know, and then obviously Getzloff's not going to get healthy scratch for Derek Grant, but I think a lot of us would have expected somebody else to come out. And so to see Derek Grant sit up in the box and, you know, something closer to four NHL lines be, be the <laughs> list, I think, I think it's good. You know, I think uh, you certainly want a coach who's willing to not ride the hot hand because I don't think anybody would say there's a hot hand in the group, but definitely, you know, pull the guy that needs to be pulled and, you know, keep, keep the lines that are working together.
2: To be fair to to David Backus too, like he's actually not been as bad as he, as I thought he would be, and he's been a bit more durable <laughs> than I thought he would be as well. Like he played the back to back games, which I didn't think he was going to do at all this season, just based off kind of how the conversations went surrounding David Backus at the beginning of the year. But I mean, he's slotted in on that fourth line and done pretty much all you could ask from a fourth line center. He's chipped in on offense every now and then, and I think he's he's filled that Derek Grant role. Uh, as well as anybody has, right? I mean, it's not a again, it's not tough shoes to fill on the fourth line. And you you've got a certain task and role that you're you're kind of assigned to to go out there and play with Nick DeLoria and Carter Rowney. But you know, I'll I'll give David Backus credit where credits due. I think he's actually looked pretty decent, which is more than I guess I expected of of him when he got inserted into the lineup.
1: Yeah, you know, I think. Uh... You know, again, just kind of go to stuff we talked about at the beginning of the year. Like I think we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, is the big layoff going to help the older guys? Is it going to hurt the younger guys? What kind of effect is that? And I, I I do think there was a lot of conversation around getzloff obviously, rightfully so. You know, uh, but it's kind of hard not to think that the layoff allowed Backus to get his body right. You know, he's looked good. Um, you know, and like you said, he's not coming in to fill in for Getzloff so I don't think the expectations that everybody has is high but he's coming in and he's playing confident uh competent hockey and I think that's kind of what you're hoping for especially for a coach like Aikens who is going to ride that fourth line you know uh for better and for worse they've been one of the team's better lines over the beginning of the season and so I definitely think uh you know, having back his seam to have his body right is, is is a really good sign because you know, if he's playing two out of three and Grant is the other one, like, I don't think that's a bad, uh, I don't think that's a bad setup at all. You know, it's,
2: it's, it's definitely not like it, it, it gives the Ducks some options. And and as well as, I mean, with Carter Roundy or Nick DeLore, I don't think you're going to take any of them out of the lineup right now. But David Backus can shift to the to the right side, and Derek Grant has shifted both to the left and the right at different times. So it does give you some flexibility on that fourth line where yeah. you know, if you did want to rotate a guy in and out and, and kind of switch things up every now and then, then you have that option. I think David Backus is a good option for bigger, more physical teams to throw him out there with Nick DeLore on that fourth line. And if you want, you know, not that Derek Grant is small by any means or, or more skilled than David Backus, but if you wanted to go with a different approach there, I think you, you then kind of now have those options that David Backus has actually turned out to be a decent player for Anaheim.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Carter Rowney has played all three forward spots. You know, I think if you have those four guys and you're kind of rotating them through, I think, you know, that's a good thing. I, I, it's weird that it feels like Rowney and Delorier are the two that aren't going to leave the lineup anytime soon. And it'll be between Bacchus and Grant, but you know, I mean, Nick Delorier fought, you know, Ryan Reeves tonight. So obviously you got to have him in the lineup. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a weird thing, but I think if that's, you know, if the bottom line is those four guys on some kind of uh, you know cycle or something like that, I think the team could be in a lot worse spots.
2: Um, I would say we'll, we would see on Thursday, but at this point, with the uh, kind of announcements after the game here that uh, oh. the Vegas Golden Knights post game session with players is canceled due to COVID protocols, we might not even be playing for not not just Thursday, but you know for the next few games that are scheduled. For Anaheim or for Vegas here in the next uh, next couple of weeks, I'm, you know the Ducks might join the Wild, Coyotes, uh, Avalanche, and Sabers here as teams that are, are kind of getting games postponed because of COVID. Uh, you know we don't know yet, and they're all just preliminary reports. But we might not even be able to get to, to see what they're going to do and the changes they're going to make heading into this game against Vegas on Thursday if it gets postponed.
1: Yeah, I mean you know there's a decent chance, uh, just like you said, because of precautionary reasons, you know that we don't see the Ducks play another game in the week, you know, um, you know, and what that does to the schedule on the back end. Like, you know, it just came out that now, uh, Arizona and St. Louis have like seven straight games against each other at the back end of the season now. And like, you know, that's fine. Like I think to whatever extent everybody understood, uh, what the season was going to look like and the way it was going to ultimately have to go. Um, I do think there are, this is a little bit of some side stuff, but I do think there's a little bit of questions about, given the way that it kind of feels like, you know, it's almost snowballing as far as COVID cases and games being delayed, uh, whether or not this really highlights the fact that the season shouldn't be going on. But the the league and the Players Association made the choice, right? They decided there was going to be a season, and this is how they're trying to go around it. I don't think the Ducks are going to be in the playoffs at the end, so I don't really think if the Ducks are seven or eight games short of 56 that it's a huge thing but it will be interesting to see the way that this all um plays out as the year goes on especially because i don't think any of the canadian teams yet have missed a game
2: no Uh, i I think it's mostly been the central or whatever what would have consisted of the central division teams that's been hit the hardest and now it's kind of trickled its way into the pacific division with um it's not even the Pacific, the Honda West division with Arizona and Vegas and now potentially Anaheim. Um, And then I know uh, today Washington and Philadelphia got postponed. So all the divisions outside of the Canadian division are kind of getting hit right now. And it it kind of makes you wonder and begs the question that how long can you have this go on and happen before a 56-game season just isn't feasible? And you have to reduce the schedule at that point. You know, the NHL, I'm sure, has a – kind of hard date that they can push this season back to before it's too late and and kind of get playoffs going because imagine like you know we could do a 56 game season and have these issues all the way throughout and have to push the season back a few weeks and then you go into playoffs and what if you know what if you're in the middle of a playoff series and you have to postpone that for a week and then push that playoff series back that pushes the entire playoff setup back you can't really start round two before round Mm -hmm. one is done and you know, it, it starts starts looking grim for the rest of the season. Obviously, we hope, you know, the NHL can finish their 56 game season and have a a somewhat regular playoff structure for this year. But yeah, it, it's it's not looking good with the the extensions of a few teams. I think Minnesota got they had missed their last three games and got extended to miss a further three games. I think also Colorado was a part of that. Like it's it's getting to the point now where you're you're, you're kind of asking those questions.
1: Yeah, you know, and I, you hit it right on the head, right? The, night, the nightmare scenario is the uh, the playoffs getting messed up. And, you know, we already know in the best of circumstances in a normal year, the playoffs are already kind of uh, fickle isn't quite the word I want. But, you know, it's a very, you know, we've seen teams wrap it up and another game goes seven games. And so now all of a sudden two teams have these huge layoffs and we've seen the way that can affect the playoffs. Uh, you know, what do you do if one team sweeps and then another team is, you know, 2-2, two, 3-2, two, two, something like that, and they have to stop the series dead in its tracks? You know, is one team going to feel that it's fair that they were down 3-2, but they weren't given the chance to come back? Is, you know, what do you do if it's tied? Like, I just think, you know, there's a lot of reasons to hope the NHL uh, gets this figured out before we get there, because if not, it it could mess everything up um you know and to get to the end of the season and have to cancel the playoffs and not award the cup I don't think any of us think that's a disaster but I do think it would make the fact that they tried to play at all look really bad and I just don't know that that's um really something that the NHL would be able to battle against you know Because as much as you could go, well, look, you know, it's kind of unforeseen circumstances like, well, no, because this was all going on the whole time. And like to wrap up the last season, you guys had to go into a bubble and you thought you didn't have to this time. But, you know, I I think there'll be a lot of questions asked. Um, So, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen just for no other reason than, you know, we all like to watch games and uh, it's fun. But, you know. We really uh, hope nobody gets hurt or anything like that, obviously, as far as getting sick and things like that. So,
2: Glad everybody came out to the uh, Doom and Gloom podcast tonight. So. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> we started off with Del Paco and somehow managed to get worse from there.
2: But uh, yeah, let's get into the breakdown here. We'll be, we'll be pretty quick about uh, getting through the game here. The first period, I mean, it was pretty much all Vegas. Chandler Stevenson uh, broken behind a... Very bad coverage from Kevin Shattenkirk and slip 1-5 on Ryan Miller. And then the Marshall Show goal was a shot from Riley Smith that goes in off his foot. So two kind of bad breaks for the Ducks. But they really didn't look great in that first period. Ryan Miller made a couple 10-bell saves to, to keep the, the score only 2-0 at that point. But I, I think the, the two big talking points about that period was uh, Mark Andre Fleury throwing about three or four pe- pieces of gear on the ice uh, where I guess his helmet came loose, but he threw his stick. Took off his glove, shook off his helmet, got a delay of game penalty, and then obviously um, Nick DeLory and Ryan Reeves dropping the the gloves was probably the most exciting part from a Ducks perspective in that period. Did you see that play by Marc-Andre Fleury where he shook off all his gear?
1: No, I missed it. Um, I didn't get a chance to uh, to see that, but I I gotta be honest, I thought it was pretty funny. I don't know that I've ever seen a goalie get a penalty for that you know i know i've seen that before where they'll they'll you know throw a fit as it were and throw something out there very obvious or like you know push the the goal off the posts uh but the fact that you said he was so <laughs> extra he caught a uh he caught a delay a game i think is pretty great i'm i'm really hoping i can find that gif later because that sounds like fun
2: yeah i remember i was watching it and you know i saw it. He lost his glove. He lost his stick. Then I heard the, the the broadcast say he lost his helmet. He gets up and he's you know wearing like half his gear at that point. <laughs> they show the replay and he literally just threw it all off. Like I don't know if he was thought he was down and out, if the Ducks had a better scoring chance at that part, or he felt his his helmet come loose and he just uh, got a bit extra and started throwing gear off, but. uh Probably the most comical part of, of that uh, that first period for the Ducks, and then obviously, um, you know, I just mentioned it, but the fight between Nick DeLore and Ryan Reeves—you kind of felt like that was going to come at, at some point in this game. I mean, those two guys, at this point, and that's you know kind of where they make most of their money—is is just you know these fights to kind of shift momentum in games. Where we're used to it from Nick DeLore and Vegas fans are, are more than used to it from from Ryan Reeves. And surprising to hear that but this was Ryan Reeves' first fight of the season for Vegas too. And uh, you know this is you know, as close to a heavyweight bout that you can get in the NHL. You know, Nick Deloria, we talked about it before, led the league in, in fights last year. And Ryan Reeves is probably one of, if not the toughest customer in the entire league. And, you know, it wasn't a headliner fight by any means, but they were throwing some bombs and a few of them a few of them landed too.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, with those two guys, you're definitely not going to get a, uh, you know, neither one of those guys is making a, a Wayne Simmons style block, right? Uh you've got two guys that are going to just huck them and just go for it. Um, you know, from what I saw, it looked like Delorier managed to hold his own pretty well. Like I just, I don't, I don't you know, Deloria is a big guy, but like Ryan Reeves is just built different as much as that's like a meme now or whatever. Like I just, he just is so much bigger than pretty much anybody in hockey. Uh, you know, I think just for a size thing, the two guys that maybe have a chance to go up against him is tom wilson and michael mccarron and i don't think michael mccarron would stand a chance um you know so to see delorier you know get into it there i think was i don't know encouraging i guess um i know when the season started we were all kind of figuring that those two would throw down in the first uh game or two and it didn't happen so uh to kind of see that one delivered on is is kind of nice i guess but like i think the interesting thing like you said is that was uh reeves first fight you know and i i don't know that there are a lot of guys in the west as it is right now that are really able to do that you know i don't really think the kings have anybody i don't know that the sharks have anybody um you know i mean those might be the two biggest heavyweights in the entire division so if they're not fighting each other it makes sense to me that ryan reeves isn't finding a bunch of dance partners since even in the best of times you know there's not a lot of guys that want to go with him to begin with so
2: yeah he's got this scary air of confidence to him when he gets in a fight where he's he's a pretty bad man he just looks like he knows he's gonna kick the shit out of you yeah and there's nothing you can do about it i mean you dm'd him asking if del taco or taco bell was his favorite so you might be the next guy to square up with him if he, if he ends up picking <laughs> del taco over taco bell so that you were pat at this point
1: yeah, somebody's got to do
2: it you know <laughs> somebody's got to take one for the team exactly. hopefully hopefully he's a taco bell fan for your sake so <laughs> <laughs> uh we'll, we'll move into the second here um vegas gets two more goals through alex tuck and nicholas goal was a bit unfortunate for miller and a, a nice backhand that i think caught uh caught Miller off guard on, on how much elevation that tuck was able to get on it. And then the Nicholas woggle took a big dip, a uh, shot came from the top of the circle and beat Ryan Miller. But a uh, big talking point from the ducks perspective here is, uh, Isaac Lindström gets his second goal in as many games. This one a bit more uh, impressive than his goal the other night, where Lindholm's shot literally just hit him and bounced into the net. A bit more deserving, you would say, of, 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 uh, of his first NHL goal if this would have been the one. But a nice shot from him, and it's it's nice to see him actually engaged offensively. Like that's been the biggest criticism for Isaac Lindström for a long time: is he does all the little things right, but the offense doesn't really come from him. And you know, at this point in time, with the Ducks not really being able to get a lot of goals from anybody. The one way you're going to stick around the lineup is putting the puck in the back of the net. So Isaac Linderstrom, I, I think of any of the kids right now, has the safest spot because of the way he's played over the last two games.
1: Yeah. And especially who he's playing with. Um, you know, I think uh, there's a lot to like about that, that line of him, Comchois, and Raquel. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the top goal is bad, and I think it definitely surprised Ryan Miller that he was able to go, uh, you know, cross cage that high off the backhand. Um, but the defense looks bad on that. You know, I don't remember who it was, but somebody is just completely reaching on the end of their stick when they get to that point, And that's just not what you want, you know, because if you're going to force a guy to go wide like that, then that should eliminate really any chance he has of making a, a, a great shot. And that wasn't a great shot. Let me say this. It wasn't a great chance, but it was a great shot. And at a certain point, you have to tip your hat to talk for getting that up there. But the defense did not cover itself in glory in that one. Um, the Lundestrom goal for me. I, and this is kind of something I wanted to hit on tonight is I just I, I think at a certain point, everybody needs to pump their brakes about these kids for good and for bad. Right. What you're seeing is. Lundstrom getting more confident and more comfortable at the nhl level as the games go on and that's allowing him to make these kinds of plays you know this is him skating into an open ice getting a nice pass from control and putting it away that's great that doesn't mean he's going to be a 30 goal scorer and it doesn't mean that he's only going to score on great opportunities like that right so i think you know to see that coming from Lundstrom is great to see that confidence um, you know, he didn't really wait at all. He pretty much got it and just let it rip. That's great. The the chemistry with Comptrois on that play, you know, to see Comtroit make a play where he stops at the half wall and he waits for the guy to come into it. you know what I mean? This is the kind of thing that you want to see whether or not the result is there. That's the kind of patience and confidence that these younger guys need to start developing if they want to be able to be NHL players. And I think, you know, unfortunately, we have seen so many well we have seen a decent amount of high impact young players very quickly and i think that has kind of warped our view of how quickly an nh uh, a prospect should adjust to the nhl game and we knew coming to this none of these guys are first line guys they're not game breakers you know if petterson comes in and does what he does in his first season that's one thing right austin matthews putting up four goals in his first game is one thing these guys aren't that and that's fine but i just think we need to like i said for good and bad appreciate that what we're seeing is growth and a level of confidence start to come in the way that they play where now they are taking that extra second to make the right play or make a good play and that to me is the big takeaway there
2: yeah, and it seems like the hate, maybe hate's not the right word, but <clears throat> the criticism shifts fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, when Isaac Lindstrom first got called up, he didn't good, look look good, and I think people were understanding in, in why he got sent down, had the two-goal game in San Diego, gets called up, he's looked good. And I think, you know, it's right to, to point out how well he's played and, and how he deserves to be in the lineup. Early on in the season, it was, you know, us looking at Sam Steele and saying he is kind of the guy out of the young kids in terms mm-hmm. of you know, Terry Jones and Steele or Terry Jones and Comtois who had been playing well for the beginning part of the season. Now that 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 script is kind of completely shifted where Sam Steele's the one getting criticism I think partially rightly so maybe not as harsh as, as the criticism he was getting throughout the night tonight but hasn't looked great over the last stretch of games here and now troy terry who you know i have and a few others have been grilling for most of the season he now has four points in his last three games had a goal and an assist tonight another snipe i think that's two games in a row for him where, where he's had a you know perfectly placed shot to the top corner a lot of the praise is going to Troy Terry. And I, and again, I think it is deserved because of the way he's played, but it, you know, I, again, I touch on the point that you just mentioned, like these are just kids and you have to remember that, you know, these kids aren't going to be bonafide top six players in the NHL, at least not at this point in time. So there's going to be moments like this where Troy Terry looks like a great player. And then two weeks from now, it could be Sam Steele. And then another two weeks from now, it could be Max Jones and, and, and somebody goes cold. It, it's going to happen. So I think, criticism for sam Steele is definitely one he hasn't looked great over the last little bit and he's getting top six minutes playing 16 17 minutes a night so he should be better for the amount of ice time and the opportunities he's getting um but man i i I don't know you know people saying he should get sent down to san diego at this point or scratched at this point like i don't know if we're at that point in time like who are you scratching him for Derek grant and and how is that how is that beneficial to sam Steele at this point
1: yeah that's exactly what my thing was excuse me i don't want to say that we shouldn't be critical or anything like that as far as you know the way that they're playing mistakes that they're making things that they're doing well that's not what i'm trying to say at all but i just think we need to start it it needs to be about taking the thing on a whole and not necessarily looking at everything at a, a, a real granular level um and you hit it on the head right if you take sam Steele out of the lineup who are you putting in his place are you moving Henrique back to center, despite the fact that he's looked leaps better on the wing? Are you bringing up Trevor Zegres? Maybe you are, right? If you're bringing up Trevor Zegres and you're sending down Steele, then that's fine. Uh, but, you know, I don't think any of us think the answer is taking Sam Steele out and putting Derek Grant in. Um, and in a season like this where nothing's going to happen as far as, you know, winning the cup or whatever, like, why wouldn't you just let them play through their mistakes? Maybe you sit them for a game here or there. I get that. But I don't know that sending them down is really necessary at this point. You know, I don't think there's anybody you can look at and go, that guy deserves to be in the lineup over any of them. You know, I mean, Max Jones maybe, but the problem isn't the wings right now. You know what I mean? I think the problem is that... Sam Steele is a young centerman in the NHL. And, like, that's fine. He's going to make mistakes. And, you know, like you said earlier in the season, we saw certain things as far as, you know, him looking a lot more comfortable at the NHL level. And he's definitely taken a step back. And I think it's totally okay to point that out. I'm not trying to say we can't be critical or we can't praise them, but I just think it's a bigger conversation than one game at a time, right? the fact that Sam Steele you know looks good against LA and bad against Vegas like yeah man that's how that should go like at a certain point we just need to look at what's going on as a complete view of the picture
2: yeah and and for me I don't necessarily think it Sam Steele has looked bad I think defensively he's been reliable and I don't think he's made a lot of mistakes I just think offensively, he's kind of disappeared over the last five or six games here. And a lot of that, I think, can be attributed to, to who he has now been switched on a line with. was playing with Comtois and Terry for the beginning part of the season. He's now with Heinen and Silverberg. And at that point, Sam Steele's now being asked to be the creative driving force mm-hmm. for offense on that line, which I don't necessarily think think fits well for you know the play style that that he has where if he's being asked to do everything or generate offense on his own that's not going to bode well for him and that's what we've seen over the last little bit here I mean that is a two-way shutdown line if if you can like of any shutdown line we've ever seen like Heinen's a two-way forward for sure maybe one of the best on the Ducks and the active Silverberg's right at the top of that list as being a defensive Defensively responsible winger on this team, and you add Sam Steele to that mix. Who's driving offense on that line? Well, if it's not Sam Steele, it's really not anybody else. So, again, like I, I liked the scratching or send down of Lindström. I think he's responded well to that. I think Troy Terry has responded well to being scratched. You look at the way both of them have played here. So maybe Mm -hmm. there is merit to. To scratching Sam Steele here, but I don't think it would be for the same reasons. I think Terry and Lindstrom got scratched because, you know, not only offensively where they weren't getting things done, defensively they weren't that great either, and they were making visible mistakes. I don't think Sam Steele's necessarily at that point yet. So, you know, yeah, you scratch him, and then if you put him right back on a line with Heinen and Silverberg, is anything really going to change at that point? Is he all of a sudden going to become a play driver because he got scratched? I don't necessarily think it would have the same impact it had on Isaac Lindstrom and Troy Terry.
1: No, I I completely agree. Um, You know, I I think your point about the line is exactly it. You know, I think that um, Jacob Silverberg is definitely capable of driving play, right? But I think that's one of those things where what you're looking at is the difference essentially between expected goals and Corsi. You know, I, I think he can definitely... Do a good job of driving play, keeping in the other end, playing good defense, limiting the opportunities that the other team is getting, getting shots on net. Hopefully, get some messy plays, some rebounds, things like that. But he's not creating offense at a high level for anybody. Same thing for Danton Heinen. You know, I've been very big on him. I've been very surprised by how well he's played this year. Uh, His ability to be what seems like a great complementary player is huge. Um, But again. If those are the two guys you're playing with now, what you're looking at is Sam Steele to be a player that frankly, he's just not, um, you know, we've talked about his vision and passing as being good, but it's not incredible. It's not exceptional. So now what you have is a guy who's still kind of learning the ins and outs of um, NHL center play. Who's now being asked to do more than one. He's probably capable of, And two, doing being asked to contribute more to a team than he probably should. Um, You know, with Lundestrom, yeah, you can send him down and stuff like that. You know, Lundestrom's played 36 games in the NHL. Tonight's 37. Max Comtois is this was his 53rd game. Sam Steele just hit 101, and Troy Terry just hit 93. Like I don't, I just don't think these guys have had enough games to where you go no you're not playing at a level we expect and so we are absolutely sending you down um you know there's a lot there's a lot going on there and so i just think it's about uh finding different lines finding ways for them um to be successful and not being afraid to mess with the lines and so we'll see what happens so i'm 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 high on it
2: we're being grilled here for, for having a sad podcast. We're getting to it, guys. We're getting to the good parts of this game. Is this,
1: is this a sad podcast?
2: I don't know. Well, no, I don't know. Maybe a little. But to be fair, we're getting to the good stuff. We're at the <laughs> 4-1 part of this game. We're getting to the goals. We're getting to the power play goal. We're getting to, Sam Steele, or to Troy Terry's goals. So I guess to start that off with the good things for the Ducks, Troy Terry looked excellent in this game. I thought it was probably his best game of the season. I think he's turned things around. I think for Troy Terry, this is the best response you could have to getting scratched. And, you know, that line, I think, has got some chemistry going forward. When you look at, you know, what was probably the two best lines for the Ducks tonight, it was Getzlaff, Terry, and Henrik, and Lindstrom, McKellen come to one. I think that bodes well for the Ducks moving forward. You can figure out what you want to do with with Sam Steele, Danton Hein and, and Jakob Silverberg, I think down the road, but you know, who knew putting Adam Henrique on the wing with Ryan Getzlaf and throwing Troy Terry up there would would to, you know end up working out in this game? But the two goals the Ducks got to get back in this game were Troy Terry and then Adam Henrique from Troy Terry. And again, you know, we talked about Adam Henrique having to get back to what he was doing last year and being you know one of the top contributors offensively for the Ducks he's getting it done lately his I think second goal in the last three games as well so good signs for the Ducks for these two to get firing and I think especially for the young kids for Troy Terry to be a factor on both of those goals
1: yeah no absolutely right this is this is the kind of thing that we all had hoped that Troy Terry could do which is just contribute an offense in a couple of different ways I don't I don't think that he's dynamic, but I think that he's well-rounded. And so what you're looking at, a guy who can make passes, can take good shots. You know, I mean, that shot he had last game was beautiful. The same goes for this one. You know, he picks up the rebound, he takes it to the center, and he just rips it. Like, that's awesome. Everything about that is stuff that coaches love, right? You stay around the net, you find the rebound, you stick on it, and you get to dangerous areas of the the ice, and you make things happen. You know, and I think that's that's just great to see. He looks so confident and so patient right now with the puck on his stick. You know, I'm sure in a couple of games he's going to catch a bad break and a bobble, and, you know, we'll see what happens, the way he kind of recovers. But, you know, I think at this point you're definitely looking at it like, Troy Terry is starting to develop into the player that we think he can be. Um, you know, to just kind of jump ahead to that Lundstrom or to jump back to that Lundstrom goal, right. You're seeing someone who is growing or showing flashes of what potential upside that there may be. And so I think that that's all, that's all good in thing. It's all good stuff. You know what I mean? I, I think Troy Terry looked great tonight and, uh, he looked engaged and he looked patient and that's really all you want from him at that point so
2: i think that's all you want from the kids right it's like when you have prospects like this who aren't blue chip prospects you need you you see this these flashes here and there of potential and eventually to get to the point of fulfilling that potential these become more consistent uh, on mm-hmm. a consistent basis where you see these flashes of potential. I think you know we're seeing that with Isaac Linderstrom. now that we're seeing him more often, he's building up that confidence. you're you're seeing these these flashes more often. and and hopefully for Troy Terry's case, that's the start of this uh, as well for him because there's a lot of people who have been firmly in Troy Terry's camp for a long time. Where you know maybe this is the uh, the point for him uh, to get things going, and and then again you look at the you know the fourth goal for the Ducks a power play goal, and I thought their power play actually looked pretty good tonight. It was a great setup from Ricard Raquel, mm-hmm. who I think is is looking a lot more confident. And to be fair to him, it's been pretty unlucky this year when you look at the amount of shot he, shots he has. Sure. he's sitting at like a two
0: and a half shooting. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely When you shave with Harry's, get started with a thirteen dollar trial set for just three dollars at Harrys dot com slash Blue Wire. That's Harrys dot com slash Blue Wire for a three dollar trial set.
2: Percentage at this point in time, so you know that was a great pass for him to to Ryan Getzlaf. Great for Getzlaf to get off the board in his first game back. Um, You know, power play goal, four goals for the Ducks on the night goals from Terry and Lindstrom. Like, you know, again, we're getting kind of jokingly uh, jabbed in the chat here for having a downer podcast. But there were a lot of good things for the Ducks, even in a 5-4 loss. Like you, you played very well against one of the top teams in the NHL, not just this division. You saw some progress from some of the kids. You know, you saw the power play get another goal. You saw your top scorer in Adam Henrique last year get on the board. Like, there are definitely a lot more positives from this game than we've seen in a lot of the recent games. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news, We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your
1: podcasts. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You know, again, like I, I think the fact that they were able to claw back from down three goals against a Vegas team is great. Uh, You know, I'll be honest, there were a couple of times in the second period where I was just like, ooh, this isn't super great. Um, You know, I think what you saw, as far as epitomizing the gap between the two teams, right, was just how quickly the Golden Knights are able to turn a mistake into an opportunity. You know, there were times where it felt like the Ducks players had barely registered that they had lost the puck and four knights are going the other direction already. Well, excuse me, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, their they're four nights are going the other direction already. And so that's kind of that, that quick upside, that quick attacking play, um, I think is indicative of a high skill group and a group that's played together and a, a group that is comfortable in the system that they're in. Whereas with the Ducks, what you're seeing is, A couple of good plays that are the benefit of just, you know, they're not designed or anything like that. They're not schemed up. It's just, it's just flat out, um, guys making hockey plays. You know what I mean? Guys just being in the position that they need to be and doing things like that. So I think that's huge. Um, you know, we all kind of maybe knew it wasn't going to go the way it was hope it was kind of tracking as far as being able to pull it out. But I don't think winning the game makes me feel any different about the team. And I don't think that losing makes me feel, you know, losing this game makes me super sad. So I think, um, you know, the positives were there. There seemed to be improvement throughout the team. And it's now just kind of building upon that momentum, going into what is hopefully another game on Thursday and trying to just keep moving forward.
2: Yeah, it's about seeing the progress and then having these moments of excitement because we haven't had a ton of moments of excitement at all really through the season. I think it's a pretty easy argument. This was the most exciting game of the season. Uh, You know, the expectations were not high going into a third period, down 4-1 against a dominant team like the Vegas Golden Knights. And and to see that fight back by the Ducks to get this to a a 4-all game not only that, to be down by one, you know, score, uh, Henry scores a couple minutes later, the Ducks get a power play, and to convert on such a crucial power play to tie mm-hmm. the game. Like it wasn't a meaningless power play at that point. That's a game tying goal on the power play. I think that gives that unit and, and the Ducks some belief moving, up, moving forward on the power play, you know, for the rest of the season here. I, I saw a comment from uh, Dallas Akins earlier today that he believes. You know, the Ducks power play woes at this point Are, are a lot of uh, a mental game More than anything Where the power play has been so bad here For the last couple of years That it's hard to shake that off mentally For for this team And I think if you had to pick a moment To kind of put that all behind you It's a game-tying goal Where you were mm-hmm. down three And you get that goal on the power play I think that's huge for their confidence Going forward And to not even just this, this next game coming up If we have it on Thursday But for this power play success through the rest of the season you know does this mean they're going to jump into a top 10 power play in the league no likely not but does this mean they're going to get out of this rut where it's a running joke that the ducks power play is you know one of the worst in the league i think there there's some hope there especially when you see the progress from guys like Lindström and troy terry like the days of derrick grant and and Vinny Latari and other guys on the power play might be over when you look at you know the progress of some of these other younger players
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, that Getzloff goal comes from him being at the front of the net, which is not a place that Getzloff has traditionally been. And I wonder if simply putting him in a different position where he isn't able to dictate play uh, is beneficial for the group as a whole. You know what I mean? Because I I do think there are times where naturally players uh, defer to better players as far as what's going on, right? You know, if Troy Terry has the puck and he sees Ryan Getzloff open, like it's hard not to think that he should be making the pass to Ryan Getzloff. Whereas if Getzloff is just down at the front of the net and he's just a garbage man, that that's not a thought you have to worry about. What you're worried about is generating the best opportunity that you can, either making a cross ice pass, getting off a screen shot, whatever that is, and then allowing... You know, your six foot four captain to be in the front of the net and, you know, maybe get a rebound. Or, like you saw tonight, Raquel makes a great pass, real hard pass, and Getzloff's able to get his stick on the ice like half a second before it gets there and deflect it in, you know. And I, I don't know the last time really any of us can remember Getzloff being that far down on a power play. It just doesn't happen. So, you know, I, I think that's a good thing. I think, uh, like you said, it's about developing momentum, breaking that mental block of, you know, not feeling like anything's going to come of it. Like I joked as soon as the play was, as soon as the penalty was called, like just decline the power play. You're playing so well at five on five at this point. Like, why would you, why would you take the power play and ruin the momentum? You know, but they got the goal and it's a tie game and you know, they lose in the end, but whatever. You know, I think that's huge to battle back from down 4-1 and to do it, like you said, with a a power play goal that has just been the bane of this team's existence is huge. There are so many positives to take away from this game uh, on a, you know, just like a culture level that I, I think it's nice. You know what I mean? I do think this is a game where you can look at and feel comfortable going forward that this team is moving in the right direction.
2: Yeah, I think you nailed it when you said, you know, a loss is a loss at this point for the ducks this year. and and it's not you know it's not a year that they're going to competing. so it it's not you know the end of the world when they get the loss. I think the big thing is to see that progress. I think that's you know one of the most important things for a lot of ducks fans right now is you know we talked about it a, a ton uh, earlier in the season uh, on a few different podcasts about knowing the the direction of this team and seeing the progress from the young players and how much, how much more important that is for the Ducks' future almost at this point than winning this game against the Vegas Golden Knights or, or having, you know, sneaking into that last playoff spot. It's about seeing that progress from Sam Steele and Maxim Comtois and Isaac Linderstrom and, and all the kids. And, you know, eventually if Zegras gets called up or if Drysdale ends up getting a chance, who knows at this point, right? It's about seeing that progress, seeing the kids come up, make a difference and, and kind of push to getting more consistent and, and in better positions on the team. And I think when we get more games like this, it, it doesn't, you know, normally I think in a regular year, like this loss stinks and it still does because it's against Vegas and, you know, they had to the come back and they, you know, they they couldn't quite get to it. And it's a Zach White cloud goal, however you want to put it, it still sucks, but it doesn't feel as bad because Troy Terry had a good game and Isaac Linderson scored a goal and the power play clicked mm-hmm. at an important mm-hmm. moment. Like there's a lot of positives you can draw from this game where, You know, in a season like this, that loss doesn't hurt as much as it normally would.
1: Yeah, you know, I think, you know, again, I think you look at Trevor Zegers and what we expect of him. Everybody kind of sees that he is hopefully the engine to drive, you know, this next era or whatever the hell of Ducks hockey. So when he's not up in the team, what you're looking at is to see if there's enough of a body of a car that he can just drop an engine in and go. And that's what we're starting to see. We're starting to see what it is exactly that Lundström can provide, what it is that Comchwa can provide, and Steele, and Terry, and, you know, the, the kinds of things that they can do. Um, you know, and maybe they bring up Zegers and they drop him in, and he just does so much uh, more than we can even think that, like, the team's ahead of schedule but probably not. And that's fine because where these guys are at in their development, you know, two years from now, uh, there's reason to believe that we're looking at good NHL players. And that's huge because I think, you know, again, as much as I was harping on it earlier about the games played lines, not being that much this time last year, I think a lot of us were pretty down on some of these kids just by the nature of watching them every night and really just being in the Just, you know, the bottom of the barrel as far as where we felt the team was at and having the coach or, uh, you know, having Bob Murray talk about winning now we're being competitive and seeing this and that. And, you know, I think to some degree you can kind of put a lot of that behind you as far as just being a bad season and you're looking at a team now where, again, you can see the pieces of a top nine that's productive, that's competitive. And so, you know, you bring in a Zegris, you bring in a Drysdale, you bring in a Perot, and now maybe you have a little bit more of the rest of that build, and you can really start to project where you expect the team to be in five years.
2: Yeah. You, you inject these, you know, high level pieces mm-hmm. that you're missing at this point in time. And by the way, that is CCM AHL Player of the Week, Trevor Zegris to ah, all of us is. here. Um, you know, he ended up getting that accolade after scoring. Was it, I think, two goals, two goals and three assists in his first two games in the AHL? Uh, At at this point, it's another notch in the belt for Trevor Zegris. World Junior Championship gold medal, AHL player of the week in in his first two games. (laughs) Um, You couldn't have asked for a better start to Trevor Segrist's career with the Ducks organization and his professional career to jump off one of the most impressive World Junior performances I've ever seen to... You know, yes, it's two games, but dominating the first two games for San Diego, the goals are in action against Ontario tomorrow, and I can guarantee you, there's a shit ton of Ducks fans you'll be turning into tuning into that game to see what Trevor Zegers can do. Not even just Ducks fans at this point; like, it's there's a lot of people out there wondering what Trevor Zegers is going to do in that game tomorrow and how that's going to shift the Ducks' decision and and whether they're going to bring him up or not at this point. Like the goals are must-see TV, not only just because of Trevor Zegers, obviously Drysdale and Perot and other guys are down there, but because Trevor Zegers is there, they're getting a lot of attention, and of course, it's well-deserved
1: too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, he got a shout-out from Kevin Weeks tonight Um, as far as just, like, him, you know, because I think the scoreline was, like, 4-1, and Kevin Weeks is like, what are we even doing? Just bring the kid up. He's incredible. You know, whether or not, that's where you're at on bringing him up or his development or things like that. Like, I just think, like you said, it really does go to show the kind of attention that he's generating as a player. Um, you know, and I, and I, I do think coming off of that world juniors where I think they beat Canada. Is that what happened? <laughs> I think that was what happened. <laughs> the um, sarcasm is heavy on that one. <laughs> I, I don't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened.
2: Uh, you That's know, how the conversations go in the Zegers Drysdale household right now. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. So you guys, we be beat in the gold medal game. Yeah, I, I can't remember.
1: Yeah, was it? Yeah. Is that medal that. is that silver? I think. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's a nice little payback for all those years of the Bobby Ryan bits we had to endure. Oh yeah. Hey, we might be uh, seeing a reverse reverse bit for that. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even trying to get that far ahead of myself <laughs> right now, man. But like, but you know, I I think uh, you know, I think there's a lot of positive uh, sentiment and coverage that the Ducks should be capitalizing on. To be honest, like I think more than anything, what you're seeing is a team that peaked uh, as a franchise in the middle of some of the just most bluh hockey uh, across the league, um, and now. You know the the league is getting more fun, and so you got a player like Zegras who can drive some eyeballs to Anaheim. Because I mean, if we're honest, like there was always a little bit of overshadowed because of Chicago and LA for winning the cups, and San Jose was like the NHL media's darling for so long, and it's hard not—it's not hard to see why. Like you know what I mean? They had Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe and. A young Couture and Pavelski. Like they had these players that were just fun to watch. Um, So I think, you know, if you're Anaheim right now, especially before the LA guys start bringing them up, they've got Byfield, they've got Turcotte, they've got Kaliev. You know, you really might want to try to seize some of this positive attention that you can as quickly as you can because I don't know how much longer it's going to last, especially in a sports landscape that is constantly changing and how attention can be very fickle um, for casual fans uh, what what better piece
2: is there to have for a small market team like the ducks than a player that draws the eye as much as as trevor zegris does now and will in the future like you look at what matt barzell did for the new york islanders when he was turning heads in his first season and how all the attention all of a sudden shift to the new york islanders when nobody really wanted to look at them you know, after John Tavares left, and then all of a sudden, this kid named Matt Barzell comes along, and a lot of people are looking at the Islanders. And then you look at the Hurricanes, where they didn't generate a lot of you know eyes outside of you know their own fan base. And then Svechnikov pulls off two Michigans last year, and all of a sudden, you know that creativity and flair is is on display, and people are tuning into the Carolina Hurricanes and watching how they play. It, it's such a important piece for a smaller market team like the Ducks to have such a headlining talent who can you know pull off game breaking moves and and hit the high re- highlight reel on on a regular basis And Trevor Zegers, like yeah he's going to be an excellent NHL player and and you know that there's no doubt about that but just being able to draw the attention to a smaller team like the Ducks is is huge for you know just getting league guys on your team for getting other players interested in joining your team like it's it's such a huge win on so many levels for the ducks to be able to hit on a player like this of this level of creativity. Cause I mean, you look when the ducks were in their heyday, they were an excellent team, but they were a boring team, right? Like it was fun to right. watch and they were a good team, but they were just that big physical, we're going to beat you down and, and, you know, just cycle the hell out of you for, for the entire game. And yeah, it was fun to watch because obviously we love the ducks to win, but they didn't have a player like that and, and a, a player who, you know, in, at any given moment can break open a game with just a, an unbelievable level of skill. I think at times, obviously, Bobby Ryan was that guy and, and Corey Perry could be that guy. But, you know, it, it, it just you can't speak enough at how important it is for, for this team to have a player of that level and that capability in, the, in their in their pipeline and so close to, to really being a regular at the NHL level.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think the thing that you said right there that I think is huge is making the comparison to the Islanders and to Carolina, right? Because I, for um, you know, much more engaged fans or less casual fans, right? NHL fans, you know, we can all go and go. Oh, Eric Stahl, Jordan Stahl, uh, John Tavares, Kyle Okposo when he was good. Right. Like we can go back and look at some of these teams and be like, yeah, these are the guys that were driving these teams to at least be competitive on a nightly basis. Same thing with Brian gets I gets my favorite player. You know what I mean? Like that's that's my guy. I'll never say a bad word against him. But I just think the way that he plays and the style that Anaheim played while it fit me to a T because I love that stuff. It's not the kind of thing that's going to bring in someone who doesn't watch hockey on a regular basis. Whereas Matt Barzal, it's easy to see why Barzal is special. Svechnikov, Aho, it's easy to see why they're special. You know, um, it, you know, just to look at teammates, it's a huge. It's the difference between why Tyler Sagan is fun to watch and why Jamie Benn is fun to watch. There's a lot of things to like about the way Jamie Benn plays hockey, but it's not as fun just from a purely objective aesthetic standpoint as watching Tyler Sagan. And I think Trevor Zegras is exactly that kind of player, who can do what you're talking about and just drive eyeballs to the market. And he's going to, even if he doesn't put points up, he's going to deliver on that promise because we know he's not afraid. We know he's going to try things. And that is huge, especially as the team is building back up and coming out of the pandemic. And all we ever hear is how it's a small market team and they don't have the money. Well, you know what would help is having a player that people who don't live in California want to buy the jersey of. Yeah. You've got you've got a guy who won the gold medal with the world junior team, won the MVP, and he's an American kid. If you're Anaheim, I don't know how you're not pushing this kid in front of everything. Um, you know, if if when he comes up, they don't make him the centerpiece of marketing, then I, I it's almost just at that point, just like, OK, great. We're Ducks fans. But like. The Ducks don't seem to have any interest in being bigger than that. Um, You know, so I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, things like the Michigan or like faking a Michigan and making a pass.
2: Faking a Michigan twice in your pro debut and then getting an assist on that play.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, I just think they're doing themselves a disservice um, to not make this kid a bigger deal on a regular basis. You know, someone in things that, uh, mentioning trout, I, you know, it's kind of funny because I do think to a certain degree, that's fair because there isn't always, you know, defensively what makes trout special isn't fun, right? Like he's an outfielder. So maybe every now and then he runs a ball down or something like that, but you know, he doesn't have the strongest arm, right? He's not making ridiculous throws, like say a Puig. Um, but you can't deny that trout's the best player in baseball right now and, when you have somebody like that, it's it behooves you to do as much as you can to make them a bigger deal and to surround them with the type of talent um, that can allow them to be successful and go on the types of runs that get them on national television and then that put them on national TV for the season after, right? That's what you want. What you want is to start to build up some, some credibility and some uh, – some cachet you know what I mean you want people to be interested um in the team outside of the local fan base and Trevor Zegers is exactly the type of player who can do that for a number of reasons not the least of which is he just plays fun hockey like you know he makes passes like with his stick behind his back like I don't even know how do you even do that that's not something you teach anybody. Um, that's just a thing that this guy does. Yeah, and you just have that awesome.
2: ability at that point. Um, you know, again, we, we talk about, you look at undrafted players and the way they make their way to the NHL, and they figure it out later on, and they pick things up along the way. But at some point, there's these types of players, you know, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, you know, Trevor Segrist, who have this innate ability to pull off certain plays that not many other guys can do. And... Mm-hmm. Trevor Zegers is definitely one of those guys. I, I mean, we haven't seen it at the NHL level, but at some point we're going to. And and it's a guy who he could mess up three times, but he will try it the fourth time. And there's mm-hmm. not many guys who will do that. Like he'll try the Michigan three times, or he'll you know, again I, you know I just I, I can think of so many plays when we say it. Like I remember in the World Juniors where. Um, i forget who the u.s were playing but he went in he saw an opening he tried to kind of scoop the puck top shelf he missed got the puck went right back to the other side did it again and scored like that's a guy who does not lack confidence one bit he saw an opening he knew he could hit it he messed up the first time didn't get down on himself took it back and made sure he made it the second time like there are not many players who have that level of self-belief and confidence and, and then, then the skill level to go and pull it off that second time. Like you, like I said, the goals are must-see TV, and that game against the rain tomorrow is going to be exciting. Not only, like, really, there's, there's a ton of guys to watch, but it's the Trevor Zegers show right now, and, and that's what people are tuning in to see.
1: Yeah, no, it's like you said. It's, it's the goals are must-see TV, but so are the misses. You know what I mean? And that's the thing that makes him special is it's the attempts. The attempts are fun to watch. You know, even if he doesn't score goals, he's going to make it worth the time that you're investing. And that's huge because I just think there's really no way to replicate that. Um, it's it's just one of those things you either have it or you don't you know it's one of the reasons why Wayne Gretzky's a terrible coach or why Michael Jordan would never be a good coach how do you tell someone to do a thing that you just know to do you yeah. know whereas you've got a guy like Dan Bilesma who you know we can go up and down about whether he was as good as he was and how much having um Malkin and Crosby and Fleury and Latang help like that dude you know he was a Bottom six guy for his NHL career. And so when he gets up, now he's able to explain the game to guys because if you're going to stick in the bottom six, you have to be able to know the game. You have to be able to think the game. And so it becomes an easier thing for you to explain to, to players, you know, and that's great in a coach. It's not necessarily always the best in a star player, whereas Zegers just has that something. And it's been a while. Like you said, since we've had someone who's had it, you know, Gibby has it to whatever degree you want to say a goalie can have it without feeling bad. Um, about the fact that, you know, all of his best games are Anaheim's worst games. Uh, you know, and Bobby Ryan, you know, like I said on the last one, he made Pat Sajak cry. I'll always love him for that. Um, but it's just Zegris is so special. And the, a, but the, the potential he has to make mediocre players into special players by just doing the things that he does every day is huge. You know, uh, it's like a running joke, right, with Crosby that, like, the best thing you can do for Crosby is give him a fourth liner. You give him Phil Kessel, and it's not going to work. But you give him a fourth liner, and all of a sudden he's got that guy scoring 30 goals.
2: Yeah. And, and there's so, not many, there's not many players in the league I think you could say that about and right. sure you know we're, we might be being might be a little premature and saying that Zegers could be that guy but you you just feel like he is and not to say he's going to come in the league and be a Crosby or McDavid but he's going to be that type of player that no matter who you put with him he can make those players better and and you know there's mm-hmm. two players that come right to mind when You talk about that, and obviously, Sidney Crosby is the one because you look at who he gets paired with on a regular basis guys like Brian Rust and Chris Kunitz. And, um, it's not, it's Talbot. I can't remember Mike Talbot when he was in in Pittsburgh, like he got put with with Sid Mm -hmm. for a bit. And you look at, um, edmonton with with the guys that get put with with mcdavid like are you zach trying to tell cassian. me zach
1: cassian isn't a first line winger
2: <laughs> i'm right?
1: shocked sir
2: but you you know at that point like those players are so supremely skilled and and such smart players and the things they can pull off nobody else really can do that you can put anybody with them right. um and, and again like where i'm not saying you know I'm definitely not saying that zegras is a cross beer mcdavid but he has that kind of swagger to him that and 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 that creativity to him that it doesn't seem like it matters who you put with him he'll get things done like he made Sam Sam Carrick's a great AHL player don't get me wrong but he's made Sam Carrick
1: he's made Sam Carrick and
2: and, yeah he's made Sam Carrick and Chase DeLeo look excellent in (laughs) in San Diego so far this year because of the plays he's put like you look at that assist on the power play to Sam Carrick Sam Carrick just stood in front of the net put his stick on the ice and Zegers threw him a strike uh and same with some of the plays that he made to um to chase DeLeo Leo as well and again I think they're great AHL players and I think they're you know near the top of, of the list when it comes to AHL talent down there but again it doesn't matter who you put this guy with you could bring him over to the NHL and put him with Danton Heiden and Jakob Soferberg and he's gonna make plays to make these guys look better
1: right and that's actually a, a great way to look at it too right like I I think that that's exactly a great way to look at what the gap between him and Sam Steele is, right? You put Sam Steele between those two. And what we're talking about is he lacks the offensive upside to get the most out of those two and to elevate their game to the next level. Whereas you bring up a guy like Trevor Zegers and you go, Dan Heinen has shown a willingness to shoot. We know Jacob Silverberg's got a great little wrist shot. What you need is a guy who can get them in positions like, yeah, man, that was open up space exact two guys to give to uh, or to put with a Trevor Zegers because they're going to do the little things that's going to allow him to be effective. They're smart. They're uh, responsible. But they're also going to finish. And that's huge. And then what that does is frees up the rest of the lineup, right? We talk about this a lot. If you can have guys slot into your lineup the way that they should be, it allows everybody to perform to their best because you don't want guys trying to, you don't want to put guys in roles that demands that they outperform their talent. What you want to do is put them in roles that allows them to outperform their talent. And there's a huge difference there. And when you have the kind of elite talent that can do that, you know, if you can put a Zegris and a Heinen and a Silverberg together, and then your second line is, steel and Raquel and Terry or something of that right or Comtois and Terry like okay these guys are able to be more successful because they are not going to be seeing the top matchups every night they're not going to be asked to be the the key difference makers every night but what they are going to be able to do is to exploit the matchups that they're given and seize the opportunities when they have them and so I just think You know, the trickle down effect throughout your lineup is huge. And that's that's the talent gap, frankly, between a guy like Steele and a guy like Zegris. You know, that doesn't mean to say that Zegris is going to automatically be a whatever, like you said. But the talent is there and you can see the way in which that talent provides such significant and exciting upside.
2: Listen, I mean, we could talk about Trevor Zegris all night, and and we have for for most of the season. <laughs> and I'm sure we will on Thursday if we have a post game show after his his showing against Ontario tomorrow night. Whether he, you know, puts up another multi point effort or, or just has a solid night, like he's he's gonna make things happen tomorrow. The one thing before we close the show that I wanted to get to because I know you wanted to talk about this is Brian Burke and Ron Hextall joining the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. Ron Hextall switches over from Philadelphia to the ever-hated rival Pittsburgh Penguins to become the GM. And Brian Burke moves out of a TV role with Sportsnet to become the uh, president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's a pretty big shift from uh, Rutherford to go to Hextall and Burke. I cannot wait to see the types of moves those two are going to pull off in Pittsburgh. Like, you just feel like nobody is safe other than Sid. Like, Malkin's not safe.
1: Oh, Burke, I'm almost convinced Malkin's out the door.
2: A hundred percent. Yeah, Malkin just seems like a player that Burke will swing for the fences and try and get Sid some help somewhere else. Like, it just feels like that. Whether it's, you know, this season or in the off season or something like that,
0: mm-hmm.
2: it, it's definitely... Uh, yeah, it, it is definitely a, a interesting kind of picture to look at when how the Penguins are going to look. I can't wait. I can't wait. I love Brian Burke in any front office role just to see what kind of crazy shit he's going to pull off. So you know yeah. the Penguins are going to have a lot of speculation for the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, on an entertainment level, I just think it's going to be great because I love – Brian Burke, anytime anybody says anything to him, Brian Burke has just decided you're an idiot and it's a personal attack. (laughs) And it's the best. I love it. I love it so much. He's so just like needlessly combative and grumpy and it's just awesome. I just enjoy the hell out of it. But from a hockey perspective, like I know that, like, I look, I made this joke earlier about Ian's no, you need to add more sandpaper and all that crap. But I think. I think sometimes we can forget, because of almost the character that Brian, Deve- Brian Berg has turned into of himself, that this is a dude who traded for Phil Kessel. He traded to get the Sedins. He traded for Chris Pronger. He was Triliving's boss when they brought in Dougie Hamilton. Like, those are—with the exception of Chris Pronger, who isn't a grit guy, he's just a very physical elite player. Um, those are— guys that you wouldn't think of as being brian burke guys and he made the the plays for those you know what i mean and i think his willingness and almost eagerness to make big swings coupled with ron hextall who i think did an incredible job building up uh, a flyers team to be in a position to be competitive for years to come uh, you know uh, other like if you look at why Hextall was fired it's hiring Dave Hextall and riding with him too long and refusing to bring up Carter Hart I don't think the second one is really a big deal as far as like I'm not going to tell <laughs> you know a goalie uh, a Hall of Fame goalie if I'm not mistaken what to do with a young goalie I understand why as an organization you would maybe want him to Push it a little faster, as far as being competitive, getting the most out of the Giroux-Voracek window as you can. But like, he did a hell of a job at scouting and bringing in talent. He built um, that team. Like that's the yeah. thing. Like,
2: he, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Like, obviously oh, Giroux doesn't. and Voracek were there, but you look at the pieces coming up now: you know, Joel Farabee and Travis Konecny, mm-hmm. and and the young guys Keturi. coming into the system here. Yeah, Kachuri, like. These are Hextall players, and he built this team, and now you look at how dominant they are. Like A lot of that is due to Ron Hextall. I think that's why he's getting another job, and not just any job, a job with the Pittsburgh Penguins, because I think the Penguins recognize the job he did, and I'm sure they're not happy that the Flyers are, are as good as they are right now. I think the Penguins organization believes that they should be right up there in the mix, especially because they have players like Sidney Crosby, and and Evgeny Malkin, among others. Um, And Daniel brings up a good point in our chat, too. Like, as much as we think Burke's going to swing for the fences and everything here, this still is Ron Hextell's team. And I'm sure, obviously, Mm -hmm. Burke doesn't get brought in without having, you know, some say in how things are going. And, of course, as president of Hockey Operations, he's going to be involved in all of those decisions. But Ron Hextell's a guy who will swing for the fences, too. Like, that's what makes this so exciting. And, like, I could care less about the Pittsburgh Penguins, but they have so many interesting pieces that... You yeah. know, you, you could you could do a lot with that team, and, and apparently one of the the rumors was of why Rutherford was kind of, I don't want to say pushed out, but why he ended up opting to kind of get out of there is because he wanted to move Chris Letang, mm-hmm. and the organization had no interest in doing so. Like <laughs> bringing in Brian Brick does not help that situation. He's definitely <laughs> a guy who will move a Chris Letang or an Evgeny Malkin or or something like that to to bring in another piece. Uh, to make this team better, and I think somebody joked earlier that uh, you know Malkin for Line a or something like that, because of course a lot sooner than we thought. But Patrick Line was benched by by uh, John Tortorella <laughs> oh for 26 minutes in that other game. These are all topics that I think we could discuss uh, discuss endlessly. We're going to cover them more for anybody who's interested on our Patreon on Saturday. Uh, we have a bonus episode there called Pucks and Brews. Whoa. I'm sure, you know, we'll dive into this, and Pat and Jason will give their their thoughts on Brian Burke. To, uh, Brian Burke and Hansel to Pittsburgh and uh, the Patrick Laine, uh benching by John Tortorella. But I, I, that's not another question at this point either. Like, Patrick Line getting benched, I'm sure he's not happy. I'm sure the organization isn't happy. Like, I don't know what John Tortorella is doing at this point.
1: Oh, I mean, I saw something that said John Tortorella is just like trying to get fired, and I'm not sure that's not true. <laughs> it looks like it, right? <laughs> you know, somebody said he's doing the Costanza, and like I, you know, but I just sort of turned to Berkey and Hextall. I I, I think you know Malkin and Latang and guys like that. I don't think any of those guys are getting moved in season, just because I think if Rutherford left in part because he couldn't move them. I don't think that the the ownership and Mario Lemieux specifically is going to bring in somebody who is then going to be allowed to move them in season, right? Like, that'd be a huge slap in the face to Rutherford, who gave you back-to-back cups and I think deserves a little bit of appreciation um, for that fact. But I do think this offseason, depending on how this season ends, we could see some big fireworks coming out of Pittsburgh Yeah, especially if it doesn't go the
2: way they they want it to either.
1: And especially with the expansion draft coming up, there could be a lot of room for some creativity. And, you know, you can say a lot of things, but Burke is not afraid to make those trades, man. He he loves it. Um, And he has always had his eye. Like, you know, we've talked about it, I think, before, but that's, to me, the biggest thing that separates Burke and Bob Murray is Burke appreciates the value of swinging for that high end talent where Murray always kind of wanted to slow play it, not, not go, not go in too deep, right. The, the low risk, low reward kind of play where Burke's like, screw it. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired. I'm making this trade. Cause it's going to make the hockey team better today. And like, I just think that's great, man. Um, and for the record, I would love to see line, go to Pittsburgh just to see him not play with Sidney Crosby. And that would be hilarious to me.
2: Well, people are putting out their um, obvious, you know, speculation. I think a lot of it just kind of joking around in the chat here. But uh, John Gibson is a Pittsburgh native, and I think the Penguins are fairly desperate for a goaltender at this point. I think the only player I'd be, um, you know, very interested in from that team would be someone like Jake Gensel at that point. Oh, no,
1: John Marino, I'd rather. Oh, have I, you
2: Penguins. are a big John Marino fan. I forgot about that.
1: Well, the other thing is, and this, just as far as the Gibby thing is concerned, this is the thing that makes Pittsburgh such a bad destination is they have shit picks, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I don't think any, I don't think Bob Murray's trading John Gibson for 2024 first rounders. So, you know, unless there's one of those things where like they string together a couple of other teams and, you know, it ends with, you know what do you call it? Like uh, Pittsburgh trading for all these pieces that then they send to Anaheim. Like I, I don't see that being on the table. But then again, Brian Burke's involved now, so anything could happen.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, again, these aren't uh, these aren't off. Uh, in season trades that are likely made Same you know, with the Ducks and with the uh, the Penguins I think if the Ducks do anything at this point It's more along the lines of selling or trying To bring in a goal score um, We'll wrap the show with this question From Pat that he uh, he put forward <laughs> To us because I know he'd be remiss if we didn't uh, If we didn't ask it on the show So he said you can only trade Fowler Or Terry and the one You keep becomes the biggest Minute guy nightly for the next five season. five seasons who do you trade
1: I, I'm asking you, Eddie, because I think everybody knows what my answer to this is going to be.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know how much I want Cam Fowler to be the minute eater for the next five seasons. But Are I also st- don't know how much I want Troy Terry to play 25 minutes a night for the next five seasons. I don't know why he picked a forward in a defense when it makes this question so much harder. I mean, like, at the end of the day, I guess oh, no. I would rather have Troy Terry play 24 minutes a night than Cam Fowler. Um and and get out from underneath that Cam Fowler contract. I guess God. I would have to. I'd have to go with Fowler on that one.
1: Yeah, I uh, I don't think it's that close. Uh, if for no other reason than <laughs> age and contract, but on top of that, like I just don't want to live in a world where Cam Fowler plays thirty minutes a night. Like I I don't need Cam Fowler in the uh, the Ryan Sutter experience. That just sounds like a disaster. Cam Fowler yeah. for John Marino. <laughs> <laughs> please, <laughs> please. Bob, get on the fucking phone and make it happen. Cam Fowler in a second for John Marino. Let's go.
2: We'll see. We'll see. The trade deadline should be fairly interesting this year, not only for Pittsburgh, Anaheim, but uh, plenty of other teams with the expansion draft coming up. Uh, I guess we'll wait and see. I was about to say we'll be live on Thursday, but I guess we'll wait and see if the game gets postponed at this point because of the COVID protocol issues we saw at the end of the uh, the Vegas game today. Um, so I guess, you know, barring any uh, any postponements, we will be live on Thursday after the game there. We also have a Pucks and Brews coming on Saturday for Patreon. So if you guys want to hear us talk more about the Burke and Hextall signings, about Line a getting benched by Tortorella, uh, Jason asking me a bunch of questions about Canada that uh, are <laughs> typical American questions about Canada. That, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: you can check in for that it's always a great time uh so that that's on our patreon at patreon.com for slash forever Mighty. uh and yeah guys stay tuned we are we've got a bunch of stuff coming out soon um steven you just sat down uh with somebody to cover the central division right earlier today
1: yeah i sat down with my buddy Eamon smith who writes for on the forecheck and uh we kind of just as a way to make it a little bit more fun than just boring you know news and highlights and stuff like that. We, uh, we built 23 man rosters kind of, <laughs> he kind of did a <laughs> 21 man roster, but it's fine. Uh, but yeah, we just did, you know, uh, divisional rosters as far as like, uh, picking players from every team and trying to put together a good roster and, you know, what kind of do it and just using that as a proxy to kind of talk our way around the central division. And I'm going to be doing, uh, a couple more of those for, well, I'm going to do obviously one more for each division, uh, pretty sure we got somebody for the north that i'm really excited about but i want to make sure i don't quite oversell that until it's guaranteed
2: <laughs> uh, it for now. Uh,
1: yeah so but uh it, it was definitely fun for the the first version of it and i'm excited to uh you know get to the rest of the divisions and i think it'll be fun and then like we said on saturday or uh yeah saturday oh my god my brain uh, it's late. like I said, on Saturday with Pat and like you mentioned tonight, we got pucks and Bruce this weekend and that's going to be, uh, we're going to be doing a ducks draft, the first half of our, uh, all time ducks draft. Um, so yeah, I just, we're, we're really trying to do as much as we can for everybody and get as much stuff out there for you guys to enjoy. Cause we really appreciate you guys being here, uh, after every game with us. So we're trying to do what we can for you.
2: Yeah. And if you guys haven't seen it, I, there, uh, a couple days ago now, I think about uh, almost a week ago, we released uh, an episode that Stephen uh, sat down with John Broadbent from Defend the Nest to cover kind of the top players uh, for the goals right now. Some of the top prospects are down there, guys like obviously Trevor Zegers, Jamie Drysdale, Jacob Perot, but as well as guys like Antoine Morand and, and Hunter Drew and Josh Maher as well. So that was a great interview that's out right now. So if you want to get a, a kind of a full Preview of, of some of the players down in San Diego for tomorrow's game uh, against the Ontario Reign. Make sure you go back and, and check that out as well. And I believe uh, Stephen, you and me are sitting down soon to to chat about the rest of the Ducks prospects outside of the uh, the AHL as well. So we'll, we'll be giving you guys a bit of uh, bit of coverage on that too. So yeah, like Stephen said, there's a ton of stuff we got uh, we've got coming out in the next uh, few weeks here. So make sure you stay tuned, and hopefully we will see you guys live after the game on Thursday. Take care, guys.
1: Night, everybody.